Let's bow before Almighty Yahweh. Father, we come before you today. We thank you for the blessings, for all that you do for us. We thank you for this assembly and being able to gather and worship you and fellowship with those of like faith. Father, we praise you now, and we simply pray that your goodness and your grace would always be upon those here, those watching, those listening, that you would help us in these days of trouble, that you would guide us and direct our ways, give us faith in you, courage to withstand these days. And Father, we thank you and we give you all praise in the name of our Son and our soon coming, or your Son and our soon coming King. It's in the name of Yahshua the Messiah that we ask all this. Hallelujah. Amen. Y'all may be seated. It's a uh, blessing to see everybody here today, and I'd like to also extend a uh, greetings to those online. We know that we have many, many people watching throughout the uh, world, really, and amazing, such places as Germany and South Africa and other places throughout the world, and I'd like to uh, certainly extend a greetings to, uh, to all those online. We're today... I want to review a topic that's been debated for literally millennia, and uh, I'm not going to have all the answers for this. I certainly have an opinion on it, and I believe that Scripture shows uh, a a a a view on this topic. I want to consider what the Bible says about free will and predestination, and we're going to look at the Bible, what it says. We're also going to look at some of the uh, meanings, the theology, the terms that are often used, free will, predestination, free, uh, foreknowledge. I want to begin by looking at free will. What is free will? Now, most of us probably believe that we understand free will, and maybe we do. This is from Theopedia.com, and as a theology site, that's what it focuses on, and it defines free will as this. It says probably the most common definition of free will is that is the ability to make choices without any prior prejudice, inclination, or disposition, and specifically that these free will choices are not ultimately predestined, it says, by GOD. So that is one definition for free will. It's probably the easiest definition to understand. You know, as we see here, free will essentially means that we have the ability to choose what we're doing without any prejudice, without any inclination, without any disposition, and without any divine predestination, without any forced will upon our lives. In short, free will is being able to make our own choices free from any divine force or predetermination. So that is free will. Now, I believe that this is a concept that we find within Scripture, free will. I believe that this is what we certainly see with Yahweh, with our Father in heaven, that he gives us free will as believers, as people to follow and make our choices based on the path we choose. You know, for example, we can either choose to follow Yahweh or we can choose to reject him. That is, in essence, what free will is. And you know, the most significant example of free will, I believe, is this concept, again, of choosing Yahweh versus choosing to deny or reject him. I want to read just a little bit more from this same source under free will. It goes on and says, it says, according to the Bible, the choices of man are not ultimately determined by G.O.D., but morally determined by one's nature. And that's really, again, the crux of the issue. Who determines what we do? Is it forced divine will? 
Or is it choices we make as believers? Since man is indeed a free moral agent and freely make choices, but in his natural state, he has necessarily acts in accordance with his fallen nature, which is true, and that's why we see the sin and the rejection and the rebellion that we do today, and really from the beginning. It says a man willingly makes choices that flow from the heart. Dan sin is always attributed to the desires of the heart, as we see in James one thirteen through 15. So again, from a theological standpoint, we find that man's fate is determined by what he or she does. That, in essence, is free will. This means that we are free to choose how we live, whether we follow Yahweh, whether we reject him, whether we pursue a truth based on his word, or whether we ignore it. You know, it uses the word here, the phrase free moral agent, to describe free will. I kind of picked up on that. This simply means that man is, again, capable and able to make his own decisions, free will. Now, I want to transition and talk about predestination. Now, predestination is a term that is interpreted differently based on the definition. So, again, Theopedia defines this term. It says predestination in its broadest conception is a doctrine that because the G.O.D. is all-powerful, all-knowing, and completely sovereign— He, quote, from all eternity, did by the most wise and holy counsel of his own will, freely and unchangeably ordain whatsoever comes to pass. So that is the definition of predestination. As we see here, predestination means that Yahweh has foreordained or predetermined everything that will occur within this universe. And he did so from the beginning. And this is because, as we find here, He is all-powerful, he is all-knowing, and he is completely sovereign. Now, I don't believe any believer would argue or debate that Yahweh is not all-powerful, all-knowing, and sovereign over this universe. We would all agree with that statement. The question is, does this sovereignty mean that man is incapable of making decisions and changing his fate? See, that's the difference between free will and predestination. Do we have the ability to choose to alter the course? Or has this been predetermined, preordained? Which one is it? I want to read from this same source again, and the source also describes John Calvin. John Calvin, who was a very big advocate of predestination. In fact, this is probably what he's maybe most known for. And here's how it defines John Calvin's concept of predestination. It says, according to John Calvin, predestination we call the eternal decree of G.O.D. by which he has determined in himself what he would have to become of every individual of mankind, for they are not all created with a similar destiny. So notice that they are not created with a similar destiny. This, this path is determined before they are born. But eternal life is foreordained for some, and eternal death for others. Every man, therefore, being created for one or the other of these ends, we say that he is predestined either to life or to death. So again, that is John Calvin's concept of predestination. And we see here, based on his theology, that we are either born 
to receive eternal life, or we are either born to receive eternal death. And there is nothing we can do. There is nothing we can do to escape that fate. If our outcome is preordained, predetermined, predestined to be eternally destroyed, that is a fate. And there is nothing there is nothing we can do to alter that course. That is predestination. That is predestination as understood by Calvin. Now, we're going to see later the Bible does speak about predestination. And we're going to try to explain how that works. For me, this concept is very counterintuitive to what we find in Scripture. In my opinion, the Bible shows that Man has free will. Now, before we talk about free will, I'm going to also talk about another term, and that is foreknowledge. Foreknowledge. This is another theological term that's important to understand. And uh, this time I want to refer to the International Standard Bible Encyclopedia, very well-recognized source. And here's how it partially defines foreknowledge. It says the word foreknowledge has two meanings. It is a term used in theology to denote the for science or foreknowledge, or foresight, I should say, of G.O.D., that is his knowledge of the entire course of events, which are future from the human point of view. And it is also used in the King James Version, the revised version, to translate the Greek words prognoskin and pronoskis in the New Testament, in which instances the word foreknowledge approaches closely the idea of fore ordination. So based on this, foreknowledge can mean that Yahweh has simply a simple foreknowledge. He has insight of the future. And for me, this is what I believe foreknowledge really represents. Now, according to some, it can also refer to foreordination, predetermination, or predestination from a Calvinistic standpoint. Now, from a scriptural standpoint, I believe, again, that foreknowledge is Yahweh's ability to simply know the future. We know that Yahweh is all-knowing. We know that Yahweh is all-sovereign. We know that Yahweh is all-present. And based on that, we know that Yahweh knows the beginning to the end. There is nothing that he does not know. Therefore, he has foreknowledge. But the question is, does foreknowledge mean that he forces his will upon mankind? Has he predetermined man's fate, and as a result... There is nothing we can do, again, to alter that fate. And that's really what we're speaking about today, free will versus predestination. Do we have the ability to alter, to choose, to decide how we will live as believers? Well, you know, I believe that we do. I believe that we do, and I believe that this is, again, the difference between foreknowledge and him forcing his will upon this universe. Yahweh does not want to force his will. And we're going to see many, many examples of the fact that we are given a choice as believers. Let me give you a real, you know, a real easy example. If, if, you could per, if you were a prophet and could foresee the future, does that imply that you were the one forcing those actions upon me? Let's say you could foresee what I would do tomorrow. You, you have foreknowledge of the future. Does that mean that you're forcing your will upon me? 
that somehow you chose or you predestined a certain action. No, you, you simply had foreknowledge. And I believe that Yahweh has foreknowledge of this universe. He knows before we are born who we are, what we are, and what we will do throughout our life. But this does not imply, this does not mean that Yahweh forces his will upon us. And that is the distinction, again, between free will and predestination. So again, I believe that Yahweh, even though he has foreknowledge, he allows free will to determine the fate of every person in this universe. In other words, we have the ability to choose what we will do, how we will live, whether we accept, whether we deny, whether we reject the truth. You know, we see some really great examples of this in Scripture. I want to turn to one that, I, that always comes to mind, and that is Deuteronomy 30. Deuteronomy 30, 15 through 18. In this passage, we find, I believe, the concept of free will. It says, See, I've set before you this day life and good and death and evil, and that I command you this day to love Yahweh, your Elohim, to walk in his ways and to keep his commandments and his statutes and his judgments, that you may live and multiply. And Yahweh, the Elohim, shall bless thee in the land whither you go to possess it. But if thine heart turn away, so that you will not hear, but shall be drawn away and worship other mighty ones and serve them, I denounce unto you this day that you will surely perish, and that you shall not prolong your days upon the land, whether thou pass over Jordan to go to possess it. And I believe that the message we find here is just as relevant for us as it was for Israel of old. Yahweh told Israel here that he had set before them life and good and also death and evil. And he told them to choose. He told them to choose. You know, for me, the fact that Yahweh gave Israel a choice here shows the concept, again, of free will. This is not predestination in the sense of Yahweh is forcing his divine will upon the lives of the Israelites. He says, I'm giving you two paths. I'm giving you a path to happiness. I'm giving you a path to blessings. I'm also giving you a path to, to, to uh, sin and destruction. And he says, you choose. You decide. You decide. We also see here beyond the choices that he also gave consequences to those choices. He said that if you choose to serve me, you're going to be blessed. But if you choose not to serve me, we find here what the consequence is, it was, and that was they would be rejected. You know, for me, I, I don't see anything else other than free will in this passage. Sure, Yahweh had foreknowledge of what Israel would do, just as he has foreknowledge of what we will do. But he gave Israel a choice. They were free to decide. And again, he gives us the same choice. They had the ability to choose what way they would go, whether they would obey him or reject him. But again, as we also see here, there were consequences to those choices. There were consequences. One was good and life, and one was evil and death. And again, the same thing, the same message is just as relevant to us today. You know, just as Yahweh did for Israel, Israel of old, he gives us a choice to either accept or deny him. But again, with that, there's also consequences. And this is really what it means to have free will. 
Free will, again, is simply the ability to choose how we're going to live and also dealing with the consequences of those choices. Now, I believe another example of free will is in Ezekiel 18. Ezekiel 18. I'm going to read this from Scripture here. But this is a really great passage showing the consequences of sin, showing that Yahweh doesn't hold us responsible for the sins of others and also shows the concept of free will. So you can either listen in or or follow me scripturally in your Bibles. It doesn't matter. But Ezekiel 18, and I'm going to read 20 through 32. So Ezekiel 18 verse 20 says, The soul that sins, it shall die. The son shall not bear the iniquity of the father, neither shall the father bear the iniquity of the son. Now, that's an important concept. We see there that everybody's sin is based on what they do, that we're not held responsible for the sins of others. It says, The righteousness of the righteous shall be upon him, and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon him. But if the wicked will turn from all his sins that he hath committed, and keep all my statutes, and do that which is lawful and right, He shall surely live. He shall not die. So, you know, this shows the benevolence. This shows the grace. This shows the goodness of our Father. When an evil man turns away from his evilness, his wickedness, and turns to Yahweh, we find here that Yahweh is willing to forgive. And this, again, is still very true today. You know, sometimes we get calls in the ministry, and I've had more than one people ask, more more than one person ask me, Have I gone too far? And I believe it's hard to say that anybody can really go too far unless it's just a complete rejection. Verse 22, it says, In his transgressions that he hath committed, they shall not be mentioned unto him. In his righteousness that he hath done, shall he live. He shall live. Verse 23, Have I pleasure at all that the wicked should die, saith my sovereign Yahweh, not that he should return from his ways and live. Again, showing Yahweh's benevolence. Yahweh doesn't want to see anybody perish. We know that even from the New Testament. He wants to see everybody live. He wants to see everybody succeed. Verse 24, But when the righteous turns away from his righteousness and commits iniquity and does according to all the abominations that the wicked man does, shall he live. All his wickedness that he hath done shall not be mentioned in his trespass, that he has trespassed, and in his sin, that he hath sinned, in them shall he die. Again, a very important concept there, that as believers, if we turn away from our righteousness, and we turn to sin, that Yahweh is going to judge us upon that sin. It's not one of these systems where there's a balance, and if our goodness outweighs the wickedness, that's not how Yahweh works. We must endure unto the end. And if we don't, as we see here, that we're going to die in our sin. Verse 25, it says, Yet you say the way of Yahweh is not equal. Hear now, O house of Israel, is not my way equal? Or not your ways unequal? When a righteous man turns away from his righteousness and commits iniquity and dies in them, for his iniquity that he hath done, shall he die. Again, when the wicked man turns away from his wickedness, that he hath committed, that doth that which is lawful and right, he shall, li- he shall save his soul alive. Because he considers and turns away from all his transgressions that he hath committed, he shall surely live, he shall not die. 
Yet saith the house of Israel, the way of Yahweh is not equal. O house of Israel, are not my ways equal, are not your ways unequal. Therefore I will judge you, house of Israel, every one according to his ways, saith my sovereign Yahweh, repent and turn yourselves from all your transgressions. So iniquity shall not be your ruin. Cast away from you all your transgressions, whereby you have transgressed, and make you a new heart and a new spirit. For why will you die, O house of Israel? I find, for I find no pleasure in the death of him that dies, says my sovereign Yahweh. Wherefore, turn yourselves and live you. You know, he says that twice, by the way, that he finds no pleasure in the death of those who die. He finds no pleasure in the death of the wicked. You know, I believe that the message, again, we find here is just as relevant as we saw in Deuteronomy 18. We see here the concept that everybody is responsible for his or her own sin. You know, as we saw in verse 20, the son will not bear the iniquity of the father and the father will not bear the iniquity of the son. Every person will be accountable for how he or she lives. And that's the truth, and that's the consequence of free will. You know, in fact, if we had to summarize this passage with one word, for me it would be choice. Choice. And choice is evidence, I believe, of free will. Again, we can choose to continue in our sin and die in our sin. We can choose to turn from our sin and live. We can choose to turn from our righteousness and pursue sin and die in our sin. But again, it's free will. You know, as a person, we are not defined by the sins of others. We have the ability to choose our own path. You know, in some ways, I believe in generational curses. You know, the Bible speaks about the ninth or tenth generation. I believe in generational curses, but I also believe only from the standpoint of our own unwillingness to break those cycles. I don't believe that Yahweh holds a grudge for nine or ten generations. But generally speaking, the way of human nature is we just continue in that cycle until somebody steps out and they break that cycle. You know, for believers, one of the best examples is coming out of traditional worship. We can choose to worship as our parents or grandparents did before us, or we can choose to to deviate and to change and to worship Yahweh as he defines within his word. You see, but we have to break that generational curse. We have to choose to break that pattern. Well, you know, the same thing is true. Another example is maybe our, our parents or grandparents divorced. You know, as a believer, we can choose not to repeat that. I can give a hundred different examples of, of how we might deviate from our parents or grandparents. And again, that's a choice. That's a choice, and that's evidence of free will. You know, for me, again, the fact that we can choose and we have the ability to either pursue sin, to pursue Yahweh's word, is again evidence of free will. Now, we also see here that Yahweh judges a person based on what they do, not in the beginning, but what they do in the end. You know, as a believer, I think this is worth mentioning. I, I think it's important that we keep this in mind, especially as the days become more evil. And I think it's going to be harder and harder to maintain integrity, to, to maintain that faith. 
You know, as we see here, if a wicked man turns from his wickedness, he will be forgiven. But we also see here that if a righteous man, a man who is doing what is right, forsakes that truth and follows sin, we see here that that person will die in their sin. You know, Joshua, in the Olivet Prophecy, said that we must endure unto the end, that we must continue unto the end. And only those who are able and willing to do so will be found worthy of life everlasting. You know, the life of a believer is a lifetime pursuit. If at any point we determine that prize is not worth pursuing and we go astray from Yahweh's word, we lose that hope. And that's the message we find here. That if we go astray from Yahweh's word, once we know, once we understand, if we reject what we know to be right, we will be held accountable for that. does not matter what we did prior to that point. The only thing that matters is we willfully, we deliberately went astray. And if we do this, Scripture says that we will die in our sin. You know, I was trying to think of another example of free will. And I never thought about this example in this way, but I believe it shows free will. So Revelation 12, verse 4 is another example, I believe, of free will. Revelation 12, verse 4 says, And his tell drew the third part of the stars of heaven, and he had cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman which was ready to be delivered, for to devour her child as soon as it was born. Now, what is this passage referring to? Or we know this is a reference to Satan's deception. Satan deceived a third part of the angels. He drew them away, and he again caused deception. Now, think about this for just a moment. This deception is evidence, I believe, of free will. You see, the angels chose to rebel. The angels chose to rebel. You know, if everything was predetermined, preordained, foreknown, why would Yahweh have allowed this rebellion to occur? Well, it was allowed because Yahweh gives and provides for free will. If everything was, again, predestined, predetermined, foreordained, I don't believe the angels would have rebelled, but they did. And again, it's evidence of free will. You see, the third part of the angels had a free will to choose whether they would follow Yahweh or whether they would rebel and reject him and follow Satan. We know the consequences of that choice. Also, we know scripturally that they will be destroyed. Now, this same standard applies to us, this standard of free will, the standard of consequences. We are free to make our own decisions. But as the angels in heaven, those who rebelled, we will also, we will also share in their fate if we uh, do the same. I want to transition now and talk about predestination. Predestination. And, and from, from the uh, standpoint of Calvin and what he taught. So there's a passage that many people struggle with, and it is a hard passage to understand. It really is. We're going to spend some time on it. Romans 9, 15 through 21. It says there, Paul says, he says, For, for he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. So then it is not of him that wills, nor of him that runs, but of Elohim that shows mercy. 
So again, based on this, many people will advocate a pre predestination based on Calvin's philosophy. For the scripture says unto Pharaoh, even for this same purpose have I raised thee up, that I might show my power in thee, and that my name might be declared throughout all the earth. Therefore hath he mercy on whom he will have mercy, and whom he will he hardens. Thou wilt say then unto me, what, why doth he yet find fault? For who hath resisted his will? Nay, but, O man, who art thou that repliest against Elohim? Shall the thing formed say to him that formed it? Why hast thou made me thus? Hath not the potter power over the clay of the same lump to make one vessel unto honor and another unto dishonor? You know, in some ways, in many ways, this seems to support Calvin's concept of predestination. This idea that Yahweh is predestined, predetermined, foreordained, some to eternal life and others to eternal destruction, apart from free will or the ability to choose. In this passage, the Apostle Paul uses Pharaoh, the Pharaoh of Exodus, as an example. He again says things here like, therefore hath he mercy on whom he will have mercy and whom he will he hardens. He also says, shall the thing formed say to him that formed it, why hast thou made me thus? You know, these passages in many ways, they seem to convey this concept of predestination, this concept that Yahweh preordains or predetermines the fate or the result of certain people. And again, we find here the focus is thorough. Now, what I want to focus on, and really the question for me is this, who really hardened Pharaoh's heart? Who really hardens Pharaoh's heart? Now, I hear to read this, it sounds like Yahweh hardened Pharaoh's heart. And there's evidence even in the Old Testament to draw that conclusion. But we also see that Pharaoh hardened his own heart. So I want to do a quick analysis. Here's all the instances of where we find that Pharaoh's heart was hardened. So I'm going to go through each one of these. Exodus 7 verse 13 says, And he, this is Pharaoh, hardened, and he hardened Pharaoh's heart. And he hardened Pharaoh's heart. Exodus 8, verse 15, and when Pharaoh hardened his heart. So who hardened his heart? It was Pharaoh in that instance. Exodus 8, verse 32, and Pharaoh hardened his heart at this time also. So again, Pharaoh again hardened his heart. Exodus 9, verse 12, and Yahweh hardened the heart of Pharaoh. So now we see that Yahweh did this. Exodus 9, verse 34 says, He, referring to Pharaoh, hardened his heart. Exodus 10, 1 says, And Yahweh said, For I have hardened his heart. Exodus 12, uh, 10, verse 20 says, But uh, Yahweh hardened Pharaoh's heart. Exodus 10, 27, But Yahweh hardened Pharaoh's heart. Exodus 11, verse 10, Yahweh hardened Pharaoh's heart. Exodus 14, verse 8, and Yahweh hardened the heart of Pharaoh. In the first Samuel 6, verse 6, which speaks of this account, says, Wherefore then do you harden your hearts? It was the people in this instance that were hardening their hearts. It says, As 
the Egyptians and Pharaoh hardened their hearts. So here we find that Pharaoh and the people of Egypt hardened their hearts. So who hardened whose heart? Who hardened whose heart? You know, it's interesting to note in the context that Pharaoh hardened his heart first. The first five examples is Pharaoh hardening his heart, and then it says Yahweh hardened Pharaoh's heart. So I believe that Pharaoh hardened his own heart. We find five examples of where it says Pharaoh hardened his heart, and we have six examples where it shows that Yahweh hardened Pharaoh's heart. But again, who hardened, who inevitably hardened Pharaoh's heart? Was it Pharaoh? Was it Yahweh? Or again, I believe that Pharaoh hardened his own heart, but I also believe that Yahweh used Pharaoh's own wicked and evil nature against him. And I think that's the distinction, that's the difference. Yahweh used Pharaoh's wicked nature to receive a result. But Pharaoh hardened Pharaoh's heart. Yahweh knew how to manipulate, though, his nature to achieve that result. So maybe in depending on how you view this, they both hardened Pharaoh's heart. But Yahweh used his evil and wicked nature And inevitably, Pharaoh hardened his own heart. So we see the concept of free will. We see that Yahweh did not harden Pharaoh's heart first, that this was Pharaoh based on the context. You know, I believe that we can use this to explain the message here in Romans 9. You know, as we saw with Pharaoh, I believe that Yahweh can deliberately manipulate a person in such a way to receive a desired result. However, I do not believe that this is the same as predestination as understood by Calvin. He is not forcing his divine will upon us. He is not forcing us to do anything. He is, he is using our nature, perhaps in some examples, to, to influence our nature, to receive a result. But the decision, the action, is inevitable, inevitably ours to make. Does that make sense? So Pharaoh hardened his heart, but Yahweh manipulated Pharaoh's wicked and evil nature to harden Pharaoh's heart. And this is the, this is the paradox. Who hardened Pharaoh's heart? How can this, how can Yahweh harden the heart? How can Yahweh force his divine nature if we have free will? And that really is a paradox, and I believe the only explanation is that Yahweh does not force his divine will, that Yahweh can certainly manipulate, certainly influence based on our own corrupt and wicked nature. But again, we inevitably will be the ones who will harden our own hearts. We will be the ones who will determine whether we pursue Yahweh's truth. We will be the one who determines whether or not we... we, uh, pursue the truth or to reject the truth. Now, the Bible does speak about predestination, but not in the sense, I believe, of Calvin and and what he taught. I want to look at two scriptures in in, in particular. And really, it's only mentioned in two passages, uh, Romans 8 and Colossians 1, and we'll see both of those. You know, just as a side note, the word predestination is not actually mentioned in scripture. Now, it does mention the words uh, predestined, and predestinated. So let's look at the first example here. 
Romans 8, starting in verse 28. It says, And we know that all things work together for good to them that love Elohim, to them who are the called according to his purpose, for whom he did foreknow. And again, that's where that foreknowledge is understood, that Yahweh knows the beginning to the end. It says he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called, and whom he called, them he also justified, and whom he justified, them he also glorified. So what do we see in this passage? We see here that some are foreknown, some are predestined, they are preordained. But how are they preordained? How are they predestined? Are they predestined from the standpoint that their fate is sealed? That there is nothing they can do? That whatever fate that Yahweh had preordained, predestined for them, whether it was eternal life or eternal destruction, that there was nothing? Because that is what Calvin believes, believed, I should say. No, what we find here is something very different. I want to look at the word uh, foreknown and also predestinate. So the word foreknown is from the Greek pronosco, and the word uh, predestinate comes from the Greek peridzo, and it means to uh, determine, and foreknown means to, uh, to know beforehand or to foresee. You know, what I believe Paul is saying here is that, is that we are called, is that when he says predestined, that we are called, but this is not whether we will receive eternal life. It is being called with a hope of eternal life. Does this support Calvin's idea of predestination, this concept again that Yahweh predestinates, that he foreordains some to eternal life and some to eternal destruction without the option of free will or choice? Or of course not. Of course not. In the beginning, Paul says here something, and many people miss this. He says, all things work together for good to them that love Elohim. You know, being called or predestined to hear the truth is not enough. As we see here, we must also love Yahweh. We must follow him. And that is how we love Yahweh. You know, as we know from the word, those who love Yahweh, they're going to keep his commandments. You know, this love compels us to obey and to follow him. You know, besides free will, the other concept that we find in both the Old and New Testament is uh, this concept of... um, Conditional salvation. Conditional salvation, or that salvation is conditional. You know, we saw this in Deuteronomy 30 and also in Ezekiel 18. You know, Yahweh again told Israelites in Deuteronomy 30, he says, you choose. He says, I've set before you life and death. I've set before you good and evil. But he says, inevitably, you choose. And as we saw in Ezekiel 18, we will determine our fate. If we pursue sin... We're going to die in our sin, but if we pursue righteousness, that we're going to live in that righteousness. Now, there's other passages. I want to share just a few of those with you, showing again this concept that salvation is conditional. Exodus 19, verse 5 is an example. It says, Now, therefore, if you obey my voice indeed and keep my covenant, then you should be a peculiar or a treasured people unto me, above all people, for all the earth is mine. So notice the conditional promise here. He says, now, therefore, if you will obey my voice, it's a conditional promise. 
That's not an absolute promise. There's no promise here with that condition. The promise is if they will obey Yahweh, they're going to be a treasure unto him. But again, the promise is conditional. Now, Exodus 30, 23, verse 22 says something similar. It says, if you listen carefully to what he says and do all that I say, I will be an enemy to your enemies and I will oppose those who oppose you. If you listen, again, this is a conditional promise. He says, I'm going to do these things for you. But for you to receive these blessings, you must, you must do something in return. This is a conditional promise. Now, one more example, or two more examples. Deuteronomy 11, verse 26 through 27, it says, See, I am setting before you today a blessing and a curse. The blessing, if you obey the commandments of Yahweh, your Elohim, that I am giving you today. Again, we find here that this is a conditional promise, that Yahweh is saying, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless you. But for you to receive this blessing, you must obey me. Now, the last one here, I think we um, cut off the passage there, but it's from uh, Isaiah 1. It says, if you are willing and obedient, you will eat the best from the land. If you are willing and obedient. Again, a conditional promise. You know, it's important to remember also what we find in Malachi 3, verse 6. What is Malachi 3, 6? It says there that Yahweh doesn't change. Yahweh doesn't change. We can't apply one standard to our Father in Heaven in the Old Testament and then apply a different standard in the New Testament. If Yahweh uses conditional promises in the Old, he uses conditional promises in the New. If Yahweh required something of the Israelites of old, he requires something of us today. It's a conditional promise. And I believe that this explains this concept of predestination. Yahweh calls Yahweh calls certain people to the truth. That is absolutely true. Yahweh calls certain people to the truth. But what we do with that calling is, again, conditional based on what we do. And that is the harmony, I believe, between predestination and free will. Yahweh does call certain people to the truth. But what we do with that calling, that is where we find free will. We can choose to reject that calling. Or we can choose to accept that calling and to follow Yahweh. Now I want to look at one more passage here. Ephesians 1. Ephesians 1, 4 through 5 says, According as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us unto the adoption of children by Yahshua Messiah to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. Now again, as we see here, the word predestined, Predestined means to limit in advance, that is, to predetermine. Now, Paul says here that Yahweh predestined some of us to the adoption of his family. And as we see here, this predestination, this foreknowledge, or for, he, he foreknew us before the foundation of the world. Now, what I believe Paul is saying here is that Yahweh has called certain people to the truth with a hope of eternal life. Again, this is what it means to be predestined. It means to be called to the truth. But what we do with that truth is, is, is free will. It's free will because we can choose to, to either accept or either reject or deny. You know, in some ways, I'm reminded of the parable of the sower. And I believe that the sower of the seed represents those who Yahweh calls. 
And as we know from the parable, some was thrown on the shallow ground. Some was thrown in a place where the birds quickly ate the seed. Some was thrown among the thorns. And some was thrown in good soil. And I believe that this is really what it is to be predestined. The seed represents all those who were predestined. But only a small portion of that seed produced fruit. You see, we have free will to choose. You know, this is very different from John Calvin's Calvin's understanding of predestination. Again, he believed that people were predestined before they were born, from the point where time existed. Yahweh preordained everything within within this universe, and there's nothing we can do as people to determine or to change or to alter that fate. If we were preordained for destruction, we will be destroyed. If we were preordained to receive eternal life, we will receive eternal life. Well, that seems very counter, again, to the scriptures we've reviewed. Seems very foreign to Deuteronomy 30, very strange to Ezekiel 18, which both say something very, very different. You know, as believers, we can obey and be blessed, or we can disobey and be cursed. Again, that is evidence of free will. I'm not going to read it, but, you know, one of my favorite passages in Scripture is Romans 6. It's the baptismal chapter. We've been doing a lot of baptisms lately. And um, in that passage, it speaks about we can either serve sin or we can serve righteousness. And Paul says there, those who serve sin, they're going to die in their sin. The sin leads to death. And again, if everybody was uh, predestined, that, that was called for eternal salvation, that doesn't make sense. Now, I want to look at one more uh, passage here in Ephesians 1, 11 through 14. And it says, to whom also we have obtained an inheritance... It says, pre, being predestined, again, being predestined, according to the purpose of him that works all things after the counsel of his own will, that we should be to the praise of his glory who first trusted in Messiah, and whom you also trusted, after that you heard the word of truth, the good news of your salvation, and whom also after that you believed, you were sealed with, this, uh, holy, with that Holy Spirit of promise which is the earnest of our inheritance unto the redemption of the purchased possession and to the praise of his glory. So what message do we find here from Paul where he speaks how some, again, are predestined, predestined to receive or to obtain an inheritance unto salvation. Again, I believe that this is simply referring to Yahweh's calling, that he's called a certain people to receive the truth, to receive the promise of the adoption into his family. But again, as believers, we must answer the call. We must choose to live a life of righteousness. We must choose to live a life of holiness if we're going to receive this adoption. And this is what he means here by this concept of predestined. We were predestined, again, in the sense of being called to the truth. This does not refer to Calvin's concept of predestination. Again, does not refer to this concept that everything is preordained, everything is predestined or understood or determined, predetermined from the beginning. You know, there is a truth that many Bible believers miss today, and that is that today is not the only day for salvation. And this is a component 
I believe that John Calvin missed and many, many theologians missed. They believe that today is the only day for salvation. They believe that if we're not saved today, that there's no hope. And that's not true. In fact, Yahweh's truth is a little bit more complicated than that. You know, we know that the Bible speaks about two resurrections, actually three resurrections in some ways, if you include Yahshua's, but two resurrections for mankind. We have the first resurrection, and this is reserved for the saints. And this will happen at the return of Yahshua the Messiah. So when Yahshua returns, Scripture says he's going to gather his people. They're going to be changed. They're going to meet him in the sky, and they're going to come down. And they're going to dwell with Yahshua for a thousand years as a kingdom of priests. Now, we also know that the Bible speaks about another resurrection. This is the second resurrection, also known as the Great White Throne Judgment. And we know that these folks will be resurrected after the millennium, after the rule of Yahshua, that 1,000-year rule of the Messiah. There's going to be a great, great resurrection. And all of mankind, except those who were found worthy in the first, all of mankind will be judged during this resurrection. They're going to be given a chance to hear and to receive the truth. You know, I don't believe John Calvin understood this. I don't believe that many understand this truth. Today is not the only day for salvation, and that makes a difference. Now, some, again, are predestined, but they're predestined from the standpoint of hearing and receiving the truth now. But that does not mean that others will not receive the truth down the road at a later point. Everybody, I believe, will be given an opportunity to hear and to accept the truth. Not everybody will hear that truth now, but at some point they will hear that truth. And this is, again, where we deviate from John Calvin. This is where we deviate from those who believe in predestination. You know, we believe that Yahweh's grace and free will allow, will allow for all of mankind to eventually hear the truth, if not now in the future. You know, just because Yahweh may not may uh, predestinate some, foreordain some, to receive the truth and to hear the truth today does not mean that the remaining again will not be given a chance to hear that truth. You know, something we find in Scripture with predestination is, again, and predestination is, is, is when Yahweh calls us, not necessarily whether or not we're going to be saved or whether or not we're going to receive eternal life. But we see in Scripture that Yahweh is the one who calls us. And we see this in John 6, verse 43. John 6, verse 43 through 44 says, Yahshua therefore answered and said unto them, Murmur not amongst yourselves. No man can come to me, listen, except the Father which hath sent me, draw him, draw him, and I will raise him up in the last day. So Yahshua confirms here who does the calling. You see, it's not the Son who does the calling. It says here that the Father draws those to Messiah. It is Yahweh who does the calling. Yahweh predestines. Yahweh predetermines. Yahweh has foreordained some to hear and to receive the truth. But again, this does not mean that he has foreordained them to, to receive salvation. Because again, we must do our part. Salvation is conditional. Salvation is based not solely on the grace and the goodness of Yahweh, it's also based on what we do. And Yahweh has given us free will to choose. He calls us, and then we choose whether or not. Now, some are not called today, and that's the distinction. 
Some are not predestined or not foreordained to hear the truth today. Not everybody is called today. And that's something, you know, I've talked to people on the phone and they call and they, one of the common questions I often got is, and get is, um, you know, why can't my spouse see it? Why can't my son see it? Why can't this person see it? And um, I firmly believe that Yahweh must open the eyes if we're going to see and understand his truth. And I also firmly believe that not everybody is called today. Not everybody is predestined. Not everybody is foreordained. Not, every, not everybody is predetermined to hear, to receive the truth of Almighty Yahweh. Some will not receive it. This is not their day. But this is not the only day. As we know, there's two resurrections, there's two hopes, there's two opportunities. And you know, Yahweh, the other thing to kind of keep in mind is Yahweh right now is establishing his kingdom. Yahweh's establishing his kingdom, and he's establishing the foundation of that kingdom, which is the kingdom of priests. But you know, with a kingdom, the priests, they're not the majority. The priests generally make up a very small subset of that kingdom. And I believe that Yahweh's kingdom is going to be vast and great. And I believe that we're going to see that kingdom grow as time goes on. We're going to see a portion of that kingdom in the first resurrection when he establishes the priesthood. But then we're going to see another great portion of the kingdom in the second resurrection, the great white throne judgment, when all of mankind will be judged based on his or her works, how they lived, it says. And that's what it says, by the way, in Revelation chapter 20, verse 12. It says that we're judged based on our works, based on how we lived according to Yahweh's word. But we find here in John 6 that Yahweh does the calling. And again, if we, if we live a life of holiness, if we follow his word unto the end, we know that we will receive everlasting life. You know, this for me, this is one reason why Calvin's concept of predestination is so dangerous. You know, there are some people who... Um, believe, because they believe that they're called and they're predestined, that they really don't care about living a life of righteousness, living a life of holiness, because, they, again, they're predestined. They believe that. There's, there's others who believe that they're not predestined, and they have no hope. So it's a very dangerous belief, in my opinion, this concept of predestination is proposed by Calvin. So again, I, I believe that certain people are predestined to receive the word today. I do. I believe that Yahweh is foreordained to certain people to hear the word now. But again, if we are foreordained or predestined to hear the word, we must also then live the word if we're going to receive everlasting life. You know, Matthew 22, verse 14, Yahshua said, Therefore many are called, but a few are chosen. Now think about that for just a moment. Let that sink in. Many are called, few are chosen. Where do you think predestination fits into that, that formula? Many are called, but few are chosen. How do you think predestination works in that essence, in that instance? Well, I believe that the called are those who are predestined. Those are the folks that are preordained. Those are the folks that Yahweh the Father is calling. But notice it says, many are called, but few are chosen. So though, from, from those who are predestined, for those, from those who are preordained, predetermined, from those who are called, only a small subset of those will live and continue on and be found worthy as part of the chosen. 
Again, predestination does not remove free will. We still have a requirement and an obligation to live a life of righteousness. Well, I pray that this message has been a blessing to you. This was kind of a little bit of a deep theological discussion. But it's an important topic to understand this, this topic of predestination and how it works, who's saved, who's not saved. Must we do something? Do we really have choice or is everything predetermined? And as we see in scripture, it is not predetermined in the sense of our faith. Yahweh does not force his divine will upon us. It is possible to alter the course. And that's what's important to understand. And again, that salvation is is based not just on Yahweh's goodness, not just on his grace, but also on our willingness to pursue his truth, to live a life of righteousness. And you know, that's so important in this day and age too, because times are becoming hard and it's not going to get easier. And as believers, we need to really fully pursue Yahweh's truth. And you know, with all the craziness going on, I maybe just close with that thought of mind. I care less and less of what I'm seeing in the world today. And I care more and more about following Yahweh, following his word, and making him the forefront and in the priority and, and, and why we're here today. This world is not going to get better. This world will continue to get worse, and we will continue to see immorality increase. So it's important as believers that we understand our obligation, that we understand that we must follow Yahweh into the end. And listen, this is, um, this is not an easy walk either. This is a walk that requires complete devotion. And uh, so I believe everybody here is predestined. I do. I believe everybody in this room is predestined. But as predestined believers, we have an obligation to still live a life of holiness. So I, I would encourage everybody to do so, and I would encourage everybody to, and especially in this day and age, to make Yahweh the forefront of your being and why you're here. May Yahweh bless you.